Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hello, everybody. What's going on? Today is Sunday. It is the 19th of August, 2018. Let's go ahead and get our contact info posted, and then we'll jump in with the rest of the show. If you'd like to contact me, I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would prefer to write an email or record your own audio and have me play that for you on the show, the place to send that is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Over on the website, which is firearmscafe.com, you'll find buttons for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And if you like the show and would consider supporting me financially, there is a donation button there as well. Let's go ahead and jump in with a bit of audio that I got from my daughter's school. And I'm going to kind of bury the lead here a little bit and just let you guys hear it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Last night, we received an alert via Quick Tip, our anonymous tip line, that someone planned to bring a gun to campus on Friday, August 10th. We immediately contacted law enforcement. The Phoenix Police Department is currently conducting an investigation. Schools will be open today, Friday, August 10th, with constant police presence on campus throughout the day. If you choose to keep your child at home, please email the attendance line at attendance at org. The absences will be excused. We will continue to coordinate with law enforcement to keep security a top priority. Thank you. Okay, so after hearing that disturbing bit of audio, I wanted to go through and talk about first some of the emotions that you go through when you get that kind of a notification from the school. And then secondarily, we'll talk sort of about the response of the school, what they did. Did I think it was, it was a good thing? Did I think it was a bad thing? Do I think that they did the right thing? So first of all, let's talk about sort of the emotional response that you have to something like that. And let's talk about the logical thoughts you have as well as maybe some things that when you look back on your initial reaction, maybe some of the illogical things that you have. And we'll talk a little bit too about the response that I had versus the response that my wife had versus the response that my daughter had because they're all very interesting things. So initially, the way that the school notified everybody was that they sent out texts and emails and called home phones, did all that thing, left voicemails, all that type of stuff. And the way that I got the audio was I was able to plug it into one of my recorders and go to the, to a, like a website that they had where you could play that message. It was a link on an email. So anyway, in a way, you're glad to get that call because you're you're saying, okay, well, the system is working, there's something in place, and they're taking it seriously. 
And then you also get kind of that feeling that someone's kind of kicked you in the stomach. It's that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that you get. Even though nothing has happened, it's just basically say, hey, that we, you know, we've got this threat that we're going to take seriously. And the first thought that sort of popped into my head was, oh, well, she's not going anywhere near that school today. And there was also, and this is a little bit of an aside, but not much of one. It's still relevant, I think. She was also due to go to um, an after-school club on Friday, and then there was another club that was going to happen that Saturday uh, through one of the drama programs that she's in. And they basically canceled that stuff. And later that day around, oh, maybe 4.30-ish or so, that's when we got the final notification that the police had done an investigation and determined that it was more along the lines of a prank or somebody who was disgruntled or, or something of that nature, but they did not think that it was a credible threat. So anyway, getting back to the emotions that you kind of go through. So you get that kind of that visceral fear that protection instinct that you have kind of kicks in. And it is funny, you, you still, or at least I, and, I, and I, I could say this is probably a relatively normal thing, there is part of you that wants to do, what is it called, and, uh, or, or falls into that normalcy bias where you want to say, oh, this hasn't happened before and it's probably not a big deal and she probably should go into school. And that... that thought pops into your head and then you fight that down and almost immediately the other thought, like I said, but my initial thought was, no, she's not going anywhere near there. There's no way I can risk that. It's only one day of school. It's, it's not a big deal. It's not like she's going in there and has to get some type of life-saving medical treatment or something like that. It, you know, it's just a day of school. So it's not, it's not a big deal for her to miss. And of course the school would understand that and they're going to put things in place that when they come back on Monday, that they can sort of resume stuff, or if they were going to do a test, they can make it up, that type of deal. Those are some of the things that went through my head, and and once I kind of had that initial sort of jumble of feelings and emotions, then I was pretty set in stone as far as, well, not only are is she not going to school today, we're not even going to go anywhere near the school, you know, which we, uh, we did, and she pretty much just stayed home. Now, as far as kind of how my wife reacted. Again, she had a lot of those same emotions that I did, but I could really see that it hit her, I think, on a on a stronger level, if that's the right way to say it, in that it was almost like my daughter was sort of in danger. It was almost like there was something that was... Um, I'll use the word like a credible or an immediate threat. Maybe that's a better for a better word to use to her. I could see that sort of fear and kind of desperation and what should we do? And I could tell that in, in her talking to me about it, she was like, well, we've got to keep her home. Right. And, and we should, you know, should we send her to school? And it was just sort of like thoughts were just coming out of, out of her, out of her head. And she was just sort of verbalizing stuff. And I was like, no, there's no, you know, I'm like, of course, you know, you're, you're right in your thinking. There's, we can't risk her going to school. There's no, there's no reason to. And again, it is funny how that sort of that normalcy bias or how you want to 
believe that everything is going to be okay, that you'll sometimes damp down maybe some of those those signals that you're getting or some of those, um, well, I guess signal is the best way to say it that you're getting that says, hey, wait a minute, there there could be potential risk here, there could be potential danger here, and not only of maybe somebody of my child maybe getting going through a traumatic experience, but possibility of her getting seriously injured or possibility of death. So once she, I think, got, got over some of that initial maybe fear response, that visceral fear response that I think is stronger in mothers, than it is in dads, and it's, it's not to say that we don't, but it, it's. I think it's a different, a, definitely a different experience that they go through maybe than we do, and maybe that's just I'm more speaking for myself. I don't know, but uh, anyway, again, it's sort of differences between the the sexes and the genders and everything. So, but what was really interesting was my daughter's response. Because I think she was having maybe a little quiz or they were going to be going over something or anyway. And she was like, well, I shouldn't stay home from school because we've got this stuff and it's going to be due and I'm going to get behind. And I'm probably going to be the only one that's going to stay home from school and I think I should go. And from her part, I think that it was a deal where almost she, being, being only in the eighth grade, and not having to have gone through something like that prior, it was almost like it was something that, like you're going to say, oh, there's going to be a hurricane. Well, you're not going to have, you know, a hurricane and a tidal wave hit the school out here in Arizona where we live. That's just not going to happen. So in her mind, it's almost like it's a thing where, well, that's almost an impossibility. And you know, when we tried to explain to her, I tried to explain to her a little bit. I'm saying, look, you know, we have to take this seriously and we we can't have you go to school. And then later on, it turned out that one of her friends whose, uh, whose mother works at the school. So her daughter was there. And when my kid talked to her friend, her friend had said, man, there was hardly anybody here at school. So the majority of people chose not to send their kid to school or have their kid go to school that day, which I think is the, is the proper call. And you could say, well, you know, again, with increased police presence, it's not like there's just one guy there. I'm sure they probably had five or six police officers there. They have, I'm sure they had cruisers parked out front and they had, I'm sure cops at every entrance and they probably searched everybody going in that stuff. I don't know. I haven't talked to, some of the other parents and things like that on what went down that day. Uh, and I may need to, I'd like to actually do that here and I can give you guys a little bit more of the inside scoop, but you know, schools are differently, and this is a bit of an aside, but schools are definitely, definitely differently. There we go. I can stumble over my words a little bit more, but they are, are differently constructed and how you get in and out of them is way different than how schools were when I was going to school. And of course, when I was in school, those schools had, they weren't brand new. They had been built, you know, years prior. So a lot of times you had big windows that were on ground levels and uh, you had doorways. There, there were two or three or four sometimes entrances where you could get into the school to let, you know, to be able to let people get out and that type of thing. Well, 
if you look at how most schools are constructed, especially newer ones, they are, in essence, little fortresses. You'll notice that a lot of schools, the, the fronts will be brick and going up maybe seven, eight feet, and then you'll have small windows that don't open that are up on the top. There's usually, you know, only a couple of entrances in there. And then during school hours, once school has started, there's usually only one or two ways into different sections for you to go in or out. And those things, you can usually get out, but you can't get in because most of those things will be locked. There'll be maybe one or two entrances that are let you into the main office, that type of thing. Uh, so anyway, I thought you guys would sort of be interested in some of that stuff and sort of be interested in in what our experience was with it. Again, I don't I don't think that my daughter was traumatized by it. You know, sometimes with kids, even once they understand, oh, the this is a possibility that like something like this could happen. Sometimes they can kind of get a little anxiety and they can worry about it and that type of thing. But she that didn't seem to happen to her. Let's switch tracks here just a little bit and very briefly and, and very quickly. I'll give you my impressions of what the school response was. For the most part, I thought it was handled quite well. I thought that they communicated well. I thought that they took it seriously and they contacted the police and they had the police out there. They had, uh, and then they had the police. Well, this is, this is a little separate from the school, but the police also did take it seriously. They didn't say, Oh, this is a prank or this is a Friday. Somebody wanted a longer weekend. And so they called in a threat on this anonymous tip line. So, uh, you know, again, I think everybody acted well. If I had one criticism, I would say that it would be unfortunate if you were a teacher there and they're saying, well, even though we have a threat that, the, that there's, there may be a shooter here today, you as a teacher still have to be here. And with, with uh, uh, another person that we know, uh, again, her mother works at the school and she elected to have her kids stay home that day. She had to go, but she said, no, you're going to stay. But there were some people, you know, anyway, I I don't want to go down too far in the weeds, but basically for the most part, I thought that the school did do a good job. I don't know if maybe one of the teachers were, were to say, look, I I feel uncomfortable being here. Uh, I, I could see, and I'm not going to come in today, or I want to go home today. I could also see if you were a teacher's, thinking, well, I'd like to be here in case something does go down. Maybe there's something I can do to help protect somebody. I don't know if any of the faculty maybe brought in some firearms that were concealed. I don't know what the school's actual plan is. Other, Well, the general plan is basically kind of that shelter in place, that you lock the doors and that there's once the doors are locked, there's no way for them to, to kind of get in and you sort of get away from this stuff. So, and I know a lot of times people criticize that plan when they say, well, the guy can shoot the locks off and get in. But again, with we, when we look at how schools are sort of constructed nowadays, 
and how that the doors are locked to and from the classrooms and things like that, it would be difficult to, not to say that you couldn't shoot through the doors and gain access or something like that, but it would be rather difficult once stuff was locked down uh, for you to be able to get in, especially the way that my daughter's school is constructed and, and uh, where she's at, the classrooms, once those doors are shut and they're locked from the, you know, from the inside, boy, it'd be tough to get in. It'd be real hard to do it. So anyway, like I said, I, I did want to give you guys sort of our experience with that. Hopefully it will never happen again, but having gone through it once, uh, again, I'm glad that they took the, the tip seriously. And I've, I, again, think that they reacted well. I don't really have any criticisms for them. The only sort of criticism that I have would be that, you know, you, you require the teachers to be there. So, and I don't know if they gave them the option not to, not to show up or not. I don't know. Let's talk about, and let's switch tracks here a little bit. And I will bring you up to date. I am, and I'll put a picture on Instagram for you guys. I have my AK kind of disassembled. And this week, I think I've got some time that I'll be able to carve out. I am going to sort of do the upgrades and stuff like that. I'm going to video that stuff and I will put it on sort of my upgrade build video, for lack of a better term. I'll put that on, I'll try and put it on Vimeo. I'll try and put it on Utah Gun Exchange and I will also upload it to to YouTube. And when I do that, what I'll do is I'll go on to the uh, Facebook page and I will put the links there to that stuff for you guys. And I'll also uh, make an announcement on Instagram and things like that. And there'll be, uh, if I can do the links, I'm sure I, I don't know if I can, if I can't, but I will make an announcement on Instagram. You know, you can do the short little videos and stuff like that, that the build video when complete will be up. So that's another reason, you know, if you're, I understand if you don't want to do a bunch of stuff on Facebook or even with Twitter, but if you follow me on Instagram, if you like looking at some of the pictures, uh, I would say go ahead and, and uh, do that. And over on the website, like I said before, there are links to that stuff. So uh, some of the stuff that I'm going to be putting on there and some of the things that I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be polishing the rails. I'm going to try and make everything sort of as smooth and as silky, buttery smooth as I can with the action and stuff like that. So... It probably won't be just one video. It will probably be several videos. We'll see if it if it stays on YouTube or not. I am so small potatoes that it probably will. Uh, definitely on uh, Utah Gun Exchange videos. I'm sure it'll be up there. And probably with Vimeo, I should be able to do it. Uh, I know with Vimeo that hardly anybody really goes on and looks at that because YouTube is still such the big dog, but we'll, we'll sort of see. It'll be interesting to see eventually how stuff falls out on YouTube. I don't, I don't know, you know, a lot of times we look at stuff and everything is sort of a pendulum. It starts off maybe on the, on the right and then it swings back, goes over to the left and then it swings back and goes over to the right. So we'll see long term, especially with the way that a lot of the social media platforms are censoring people. You know, there's the stuff with, with Alex Jones that they censored who... If you've, if you've never listened to his show, I've listened to, I tried to say, okay, what is all the hubbub about? I went and, and listened to some of his shows and I thought, well, I'll, I'll listen to about four of them because maybe one is a fluke and 
So, but it was so out there with some of his stuff. Some of the stuff was probably legitimate. And some of the concerns he has would probably be legitimate. But the other stuff is so bonkers, is so bananas, that it's hard to take him seriously with other stuff. Do I think that he believes that stuff? You know, I don't, who knows? You know, is it all a scam? You know, is it all kind of a fear-mongering thing, you know, to, to make money, that type of stuff? Could be, I, you know, I don't know. But I would say that probably of the, of the shows that I listen to, probably about 20% of what he said was probably legit and the other stuff was just sort of hyperbole or was grasping at straws, that type of thing. I think they said that they they popped him for hate speech of the stuff that I listened to. I didn't really hear any of that. Again, it was just sort of bizarro rantings, but and and a lot of conspiracy theory and things like that. Do I think he should have been banned? From what I heard, no. But of course, I'm a person that doesn't believe that you need protection. And it brings up a lot of stuff, you know, about free speech and what does that mean? And I understand that when we're talking about free speech, what we really mean is that from a legal standpoint, I guess what you could say is that the government isn't shutting you down or the government isn't pressuring, let's say an organization like YouTube or Apple or something like that to actually come and censor you, that type of thing. Do I think that's what's going on with him and some of the other people? No, I think that they are just so far left in their ideology that they see this as a way that they can sort of strike back at people that they don't like. But if we look at sort of the concept of free speech, and if we look at that in a generalized, maybe societal view, in America, supposedly one of the things that we hold very dear is that we can sort of say what we want to say. And that it used to be that we weren't necessarily afraid of bad ideas. And if we saw that, even if the majority was saying bad things or was advocating the practice of bad things, that even as a minority, you could speak out against that. And it seems that that's kind of flip-flopped a little bit, but that's probably a discussion for another day. But anyway, I guess, you know, if places like Twitter and... and uh, Apple and all that stuff and YouTube want to kick them off their platforms. They are their platforms. It's unfortunate that there really aren't other platforms that are out there that have maybe their reach. Although, you know, you could maybe question some of that stuff with Twitter, but you know, YouTube definitely is the big dog and it could, and you know, we've seen that they've already come after gun people and gun channels and things like that. So anyway, speaking of that stuff, And speaking about YouTube, one of the things that's happened, uh, and this will be a little bit of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and then we'll probably kind of close the show today on this. And it may be a little bit shorter show, I don't know. But as far as kind of the nuts and bolts, the hosting service that I have is starting to get, it's approaching the, the full mark. So what that means is if I wanted to keep all my past shows, and it's not only for this show, but also for Armed Aid, but if I wanted to keep all that, you know, all the shows up and available, which was always my intent, I never really thought, oh, I would run out of space. But 
if I want to keep everything available, so when you go to iTunes or when you go to even just on the website and click on the RSS feed, that you would be able to go back and sort of get everything. What I've, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to do is start to pull some of the episodes down, maybe some of the, uh, like the first, I don't know, probably realistically, uh, maybe 30 to 40 shows that I'll have to kind of pick and get rid of and things like that and pull stuff down. My plan is to put those on the YouTube channel as just audio. And then what I'll do is I will go through and if I'm talking about a certain thing, I'll try and find pictures or if I can take pictures of what I'm talking about and put that stuff up so that if somebody wanted to, it would be another place that they could get it. I of course have all the shows that are that are backed up and everything. I have MP3s of all that stuff. And if anybody ever wanted them, you know, again, they would be on YouTube. If YouTube YouTube eventually took them down, I might be able to put them elsewhere. Uh, but again, if I leave them up there, once I go over that limit that I have, as far as what I can store on their servers, they're going to start charging me extra. And I just, that's unfortunately, it's just something that I can't afford. And I'm thinking about, you know, like I said, maybe I'll probably pull like five or 10 shows off of the, off of the server now. And what I'll do is I'll, again, I'll put those on YouTube and on on the website. I'll go in and on that. So let's say if I pulled off show number five or something, I'll put a link to over on the website on that. um, I guess you'd call it like that that post, that particular post, uh, this is, you know, if you wanted to go and listen to the video. Also, there's stuff where you could, you could, um, pull the MP3. You can just pull the sound off of YouTube. There's programs where you can do that. And I wouldn't have any problem if anybody wanted to do that as well. I may again, start up like a Patreon thing. If that were to be successful, I might be able to leave everything up. Um, I would still maybe leave some of the stuff over on YouTube. So we'll kind of have to see on that and see what's going on. I have to sort of look into Patreon and figure out if that's even something that I I want to do. Again, with a lot of this stuff, having seen how a lot of these, for whatever reason, a lot of these corporations, I guess for lack of a better term, seem to be very far left-leaning. And so... Right now, there's a lot of gun channels and gun people that have stuff on Patreon, and that's fine. And that, But who knows? Is that going to go away tomorrow? Is that going to go away a week from now, a month, a year from now, five years from now? So, you know, I don't know. We saw a lot of people on YouTube that took big hits because that was a way where they had extra income. Some people, that was their livelihood. That was how they made money. So anyway... I'll see on that. If any of you guys out there have any maybe experience with Patreon, shoot me an email. I won't necessarily read it out on the air if you don't want me to, uh, but give me sort of the pros and cons of that stuff. It's um, it's always nice to get sort of firsthand experience from somebody maybe that I kind of in quotes know or somebody who's a listener so that we're coming maybe sort of from the same mindset, that type of thing. And uh, we'll kind of see on there. As far as what I would do maybe for different levels, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to contact my hosting service and see if I'm going to go up maybe to the next tier to keep stuff up. How much would that be? Uh, but like I said, it's it's getting to the point, you know, this stuff doesn't 
stay static, the cost of this stuff. So as time goes on, they raise it, you know, a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there. So it's, it's, it's way more than I'm paying, of course, than I was, you know, 10 years ago. And I may look at maybe hosting it somewhere else if I can find someplace else cheaper. Maybe that might be an alternative. We'll see on that. So anyway, let me go ahead and give you guys that contact info. And hopefully I will be able to hear from you guys. The voicemail is area code 206-745-2731. The place to send in email or audio recordings is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All right, I will talk to you next time.